Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the C4SO, C4SO podcast. podcast. Well, hey, Bishop Todd, how are you today? Good, Mickey. I see, you know, every time I see you, you're in a different spot. I'm like boring. I'm in the same <laughs> spot every time we record and you're always well, in, in a cool, room, different place. Oh, you are. I'm in, I'm in the same room. It's just different uh, paint on different uh, walls. Okay. I so... just thought it was another example of you being way cooler than me, but okay. Oh no, I try to be cool, but nope. Same room, same room. I'm very lo- much looking forward to sharing today's episode because we are sitting down with the wonderful Amy Roscoe, yeah. who is just so many things, so many titles that she holds, so many important jobs that she has, probably the most important of which is being a mom of three amazing yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so Amy is our canon for ordinations. So she helps in the process of uh, folks who are sensing a call to ordained ministry. And Bishop Todd, you can kind of give our listeners a little bit more of a background on why that's important in our Anglican context. Yeah, she plays a very central role in the in the life of the diocese. We always have a number of people who are in the ordination process. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing about this, Mickey, kind of spiritually and ecclesially, is the notion that it's God who calls, right? Like right. We, we, we read these passages at ordinations for deacons and priests, like we read Isaiah 1 and we read Jeremiah 1. Right. Uh, that's, it's God who calls. And then the church recognizes those whom God has called because the church recognizes the gift of the spirit being operative in them, godly character and that sort of thing. So when we think of character and calling and then competency for ministry, those are really important as the church discerns who God has called. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, Amy sits right in the middle of that. And she's served as a missionary. She has served as a, like a co-leader of a nonprofit called uh, the Canton Abbey. She and her husband, so many titles that she holds, so many things that she does. We cannot wait to share today's episode with the great Amy Roscoe. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you on the C4SO podcast. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. Awesome. So let's give our listeners a chance to get to know you with a couple of fun questions. We'd like to ask, give us an idea of what sort of food you enjoy and maybe what's like a guilty pleasure food. And is there like any story behind that? What's like a favorite of yours? That's a great question. There are so many wonderful cuisines out there and it's hard to pick from them. Uh, I would say because it's we're some, it's summertime now as we're recording this, mm-hmm. and uh, I just love ice cream. And when it's warm out, there's just oh, any yeah. excuse is good for ice cream. Totally. There's so many flavors, so little time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ice cream is so good. It's my favorite dessert. Yeah, we, we got a thing here. Well, I think it's in other places. We got a thing here called Jenny's ice cream that the locals we have that too. love. Yeah. That's so good. Okay, and so, Amy, another kind of staple question around here is what is something that you're really good at that nobody else knows about? Like, what's a secret hidden talent? Well, I love listening to the podcast and hearing all the amazing answers to this question. (laughs) But I I don't feel like I have a great one. I I feel like I'm one of those, like, Jill of all trades, master of none kind of people where... Um, 
I get interested in something up to a point to feel like I'm average and then abandon it. Uh, <laughs> so there haven't been a lot of like amazing oh. hidden talents. Um, yeah. So I, I guess something people don't know about that's not really, I wouldn't consider it a talent, but when I was at Fuller, I, I worked my way through my last year of Fuller uh, as an extra uh, in uh, oh, there TV it shows is. and that's movies. It. And so wow. it, it doesn't take that much talent, actually, but it is a little uh, little known fact about me. That there is so cool. Yeah. I mean, I think you got you got two hidden talents. You can do lots of things well. Most people don't have that. Yeah. And you're an extra. That's fantastic. That is very cool. It, it was an interesting experience. So give us a fun set that you were on. Yeah, what's it like a fun? You know, most of the things I was on, you can't actually see me after, you know, hours of production (laughs) and lots of extras. You can't see us at all. Uh, The one film where I am recognizable is uh, Disney's um, Race to Witch Mountain, the remake they did a couple years ago. So that's cool. that's that's my one where you can where you can see that I'm there. It nice. was um. So do you have an IMDb like? Because even extras not, get no. IMDb's. Oh dang it! I'm <laughs> uncredited. Awesome. Okay. No, it was a it was a fun experience just to engage with people from all walks of life who do that kind of thing, and it was a great experience for me to be you know half day in seminary. And the other half, like yeah. with yeah. the realist of the real people in the world, and uh, getting to just talk and engage, and uh, it was great. It was a great experience. It was a little fun, fun that thing I got awesome. to do. That's very cool. So cool. All right. Well, we want to uh, help people uh, get to know you a bit more, Amy. But let's uh, make it a little more serious now, <laughs> away <laughs> from Hollywood and into your into your real life. Tell our audience about your ministry story. Like, you know, how you came to faith and felt your first inklings of a call to ministry and the kinds of things you've done. As I think about that story, I just am overwhelmed with gratitude for so many people that have have been part of that story, are part of that story. I know not everyone has a list of people that have affirmed their call and encouraged them over the years. But as I look back, I just have such a long list of people from uh, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to pastors and professors who called out in me gifts that I didn't see, uh, who encouraged me, who taught me along the way. And I'm just mm. so grateful for that. Uh, I was I was raised in a Christian home, uh, United Methodist Salvation Army background, uh, came to faith at a young age and started serving in the church at a young age. My first uh, ministry job was a camp counselor, and in that was uh, had had gifts called out in me for teaching and leading. That just kept one thing just kept leading to the next. And as I think about my ministry story, I just see God's faithfulness as I have been faithful to say yes to one thing. It just leads to the next thing, and it's just been a fun mm-hmm. journey. Lots of twists and turns along the way, but it's been a, a fun, fun ride, I guess. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So when you look back over those years now, yeah. uh, you know, decades maybe now, and you, you know, think of yourself being in your current role as uh, the C4SO canon for ordinations, where do you see where that experience has, um, you know, helped you to be in this role you're in now? When I was in college, I 
got to experience a lot of things that led to new ministry, one of which was my first short-term missions trip uh, internationally. And that eventually led to me um, serving overseas uh, for a season. A year was the longest I was in any one place, but then working in uh, different cross-cultural missions organizations. So that was really an important college experience that set me up for that kind of ministry. And um, also coming out of that, there was a, a pastor who said, hey, will you come be um, a pastoral intern for a summer at my church? And it was a, mm. a small church in Indiana, you know, one one full-time pastor, one part-time secretary. So I did all the things uh, that summer. And uh, actually this uh, past mm-hmm. uh, May when I was ordained, and that was uh, broadcast right through all the different mediums. The host family, where I stayed that summer as a pastoral intern back in the late 90s, uh, they mm. watched that and got to see oh, wow. my ordination service. Mm-hmm. And it was oh, that's cool. just really special to so see sweet. kind of this continuity. And uh, even yeah. where I haven't been in um, pastoral ministry yeah. for that long, that it it still connects back to something I did quite a long time ago. Yeah. And seeing that that thread. Yeah. And then you had a stint where you were helping a uh, missionary society or I don't I, I don't know exactly what they called themselves kind of sort through people who are feeling feeling called to missions as well, right? Say a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. This also ties into that whole um well, I don't know that I'm that I have any hidden talents or that special at anything, but I love calling out special things in other people. And I love and noticing other people's gifts and helping them yeah. get better at those things. And that just seems like it fits so well with a priestly calling and especially in this um, canon for ordinations role, because that's part of what I get to do is to yeah. uh, help people identify where God's gifted them and, you know, point them in ways of continuing to develop that and live into that. And so I, I did get to do something very similar for a season for um, the Wesleyan Church yeah. and for a non-denominational uh, missions organization where I was talking with folks, experiencing a call to uh, discernment of a, a cross-cultural ministry call and just really enjoyed that season of ministry and felt like it was really sacred as I got to hear people's stories and walk with them into new seasons of ministry. And I get to do yeah. that again. So I'm really excited about that. So does the work you're doing now feel really kind of coherent with all that? Or are you learning some specific new things doing it in an Anglican context? Definitely both. Mm. Uh, What I've really felt good about as it's only been a few months, I'm still new in this role, but as, as I've been doing it, it feels like the right balance of building on a foundation of, of where I've been, but there's enough challenge that I feel like I'm growing and uh, having to, you know, dig deep and learn more. And I, I enjoy learning new things and um, such a great group of people we have within C4SO and that I, that I get to call on and learn from and um, build on the foundations they've built. So that's just been a joy. Yeah. And as you know, you're, you're, you're perfect because lots of people in C4SO and certainly the majority of, well, everybody adopting in, is coming into Anglicanism for the first time. And I would say a majority of our people getting ordained, especially in church yeah. plant settings, are coming in as well. So in that sense, you're you're I mean, you're a great gift for a lot of reasons, Amy. But if you think of particularly that experience you have in general in different denominational settings, and then adding it together as mm-hmm. a learner and doing it in this Anglican setting probably makes you a great person for people to talk to. 
it, it is interesting to, to all the people I get to talk to coming from such a wide variety of backgrounds that are ending up here. We're all in the same place, but uh, it's true. Mm-hmm. So many are coming right. from other places to Anglicanism. And so we get to learn learn together. So Amy, we'll get to, to talk a little bit about your vision for ordination and the whole process. Um, but I'd love to just ask for, or, and just ask you to explain maybe to some of our listeners who are unfamiliar with ordination or the ordination process, if you could just kind of boil it down simply, what is ordination and what is the significance of holy orders versus, you know, confirmation or like lay service? Um, what's the significance of these holy orders? That's a great question and a hard one to really boil down into, uh, you know, a soundbite uh, is that even as I've been doing this, you know, there are so many great resources to read and um, different thought leaders talking about this, uh, particularly in the Anglican context and in the, you know, the broader church as well. One of the things that I've loved in coming into this role is that there are, there are so many great resources on our website uh, in terms of guides and our websites. So for people who are new to this process, uh, there's a great place you can go to reference all of these different things. Uh, there's, there's, even, there's even another podcast uh, episode out there with uh, Trish, who was in this role before me, talking about some of these things. But you know, we, we're in a ne- unique place where we are truly believing in the priesthood of all believers, but yet uh, feeling that some are called to unique vocations within the church as deacons or priests. And there is this balance uh, I always want to hold in tension, which is just um, that which is sacred about um, the ordination and being ordained, but also that that there's so much you know the, that you can do without that actual ordination service happening, that there is just so much to be done in the church. Um, as I talk to people who are looking at ordination, um, if they think not being ordained is stopping them from doing ministry, like that feels like a fallacy to me. Uh, most of the people in the process, this is a time of um, public recognition of what God has already initiated and is doing in someone's life. And so there is, uh, the, you know, we say that the the ordination process is divinely initiated. We want to listen for the voice of God in this process uh, that has spoken to the individual. And also it's it's a community discernment so that there will be other people in that process also affirming that call, um, ultimately the bishop affirming that uh, in them and and doing you know an ordination uh, service uh, and whatnot. But it really is something that we are recognizing and sealing in that process, uh, something that God has done. And is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That reminds me, Amy, that one of my favorite sentences in the ordination service <laughs> says something like, uh, "It's I'm addressing the congregation, and I say, my dear brothers and sisters, every Christian is called to serve Christ and serve the world." Is essentially it. But now this person is called to a, a special place of service. So not better, but unique. You know, just a different way of serving Christ, but. I, I think um, we all would agree that when we're thinking best about these things, we're not thinking in hierarchical terms. We're thinking more in terms like team, like a basketball team where people just have different roles or a, a mosaic where you have different bits of glass that add up to a picture. But but holy orders is not something hierarchical. It doesn't put you above anybody else. And in fact, one of my very favorite Anglicanisms is once a deacon, always a deacon. Often when I'm on the road, 
and it's time to clean up or something, I'll be picking up trash mm -hmm. or folding chairs or putting tables away. And inevitably, somebody will run up, you know, trying to be nice and say, oh, Bishop, please stop, you know. It's okay. And I always say, no, 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 once a deacon, always a deacon. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that place of service being central mm -hmm. to everything we're doing, whether we're lay people or in holy orders, is is uh, such a big deal. So I know, Amy, that you, yeah. uh, you know, talked to Trish and talked to me and talked to others a number of months ago as you were coming into this role, and now you've been in the role, as you say, for a few months. What's emerging for you just as your vision? Like, Amy Roscoe, this is my vision for serving C4SO and our ordinands in this role. You got anything like that happening yet that you think rolls up to a vision? Well, ultimately, Bishop Todd, my, my vision is to, to understand what your vision is and to support that. Uh, I really feel like it's you oh, as Bishop who, or, who ordained. <laughs> You're welcome. And, and I'm in this role <laughs> to support that, to bring alongside the systems and structures that allow you to do mm -hmm. what you're called to do in this. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, well, so let me just stop you there. I mean, what I hear in yeah. that is I understand the way you said it, but actually if we stop and think about it, it's really not so much me as it is. We now have a 10 year like track record of articulating a vision for the diocese values, priorities, a worldview, you know, mm -hmm. a theological structure. And you're absolutely right that um, what you do in a sense, um, kind of ensures that that's passed down through new clergy who come into the diocese. So that synergism that you're describing, I think, is really important. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, my my vision, I guess, for for me personally, would be that I would the people would feel supported in that process. Right, yeah. They would feel listened to, uh, particularly our rectors and our deans, that they would feel like they have the resources at their disposal to really walk with people in their context. Yeah. And so my role is just giving out the resources, equipping, uh, doing all I can to make that uh, as smooth a process as possible mm. yeah. for everyone involved. So can you yeah. give us maybe, maybe like a behind the scenes look at what this sort of process looks like? You know, I, I know you're kind of working towards streamlining a lot of these things that make up the process. So if we could take a peek behind the curtain, what would be a couple of your processes that, um, you know, you're, you're doing in an effort to continue what's been done and, and continue to facilitate this robust process? So I would say I'm still in the learning process. I'm still in learning mode and listening mode. There's a, a axiom in building, right, that says measure twice, cut once. And so I I don't want to be reactionary uh, to mm -hmm. everything I hear or experience, but I'm just trying to listen to uh, the experiences and yeah. go through yeah. the cycle with a few people and see where where's their friction uh, and and where should that friction be smoothed and where is that friction actually a good thing? So that's um, yeah, I think mm -hmm. I'm still in this process of really just trying to listen to like I said, our, our rectors and deans, people that have been through this process a few times, as well as those in the ordination process to hear, how yeah. are you experiencing this? What's this uh, feel like for you? And and what can we do better? And trying to just aggregate some of those stories uh, before, you know, making any kind of uh, changes, because like I said, there is such a great foundation. So stay tuned for what that turns into <laughs> uh, as time passes. 
Yeah, I think the heart in this is the 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 system, the process, I mean, has to be robust. Like, I mean, there's just work to be done here, mostly discernment work and prep work, preparation for ordinance and then discernment. But I think we're all committed to it not being laborsome where it doesn't have to be, where we can streamline things or make things more apparent to everybody or uh, remove unnecessary encumbrances that, that we're happy to do that. And there's a sense in which this has been a journey for us from the very beginning of figuring this out as, uh, as newish Anglicans. A part of that learning curve, Amy, was I lose track of time, but maybe three years ago, and I think maybe I was just culling through, like maybe it was the end of the year, and I was culling through the list of clergy and just like checking the list, you know, and making sure like, is this accurate? And I noticed a number, like not like one or two, don't hold me to this, anybody, but like maybe 15 or 20 people on the list. Like, again, it wasn't just one who just weren't really connected to a church meaningfully. They didn't have any sort of role in a church. And again, these aren't bad people. This life situation changed and they moved for their husband's job or who knows, you know, um, but they just weren't meaningfully connected in any way to the life and work of the church. And so at that moment, that was a learning moment a few years ago. And we decided that if you're going to be ordained in C4SO, you have to have a place to work. And when I announced that, I said, it doesn't mean you have to have a full-time job, you know, making 50 or a hundred thousand dollars a year. You just have to be in a community that shows some value for what you're doing by either supporting your ministry or paying you a stipend or something that just signals that here's a community that recognizes God's work in somebody. They're meaningfully connected and, um, and, you know, ideally are are getting paid something um, for it. So say a bit more about um, how you work that distinction out with people and, and why it's important that they be meaningfully connected to a community. Well, as you've alluded to, um, I'm building on years of this uh, being instilled in the DNA of C4SO. And so I think at this point, that's become pretty clear to folks within C4SO that that's an expectation. And so I'm like, like we said earlier, you know, this ordination is not something we want people to wait to do ministry until they're ordained, but they're already doing ministry. We're recognizing yeah. ministry that's already being done yeah. uh, and gifting yeah. that's already there. And so it just makes sense that people are in a context where that's already playing out in some form or fashion. And I, I want to be really open to different ways in which that is being lived out and expressed. Yes. I think yes. uh, something yeah. about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the charism of, of C4SO is, you know, working from the mission field backwards, as you'll say, Bishop Todd, and we want to think about what kind of mm-hmm. giftings are needed for new churches to reach new people. And, and that is going to look experimental in some situations and we want to be open to that, but also just um, recognizing that there's also community discernment there. And that's not yeah. just lone rangers out there doing things by themselves, yeah. but are there people saying, Hey, we recognize this and, and also affirm it's a, it's a call in your life. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to be creative, Amy, because right. you're married to Jr. <laughs> and he's the head of missional innovation. So you're going to, uh, I'm a fan, and you're married to <laughs> me, so we're both going to have to I'm a be fan too. Open yeah, open to to missional innovation, <laughs> and and what it means seriously to train clergy 
for you know roles that are very robust and kingdom, but don't right. look like kind of typical parish roles. So it's, it's one of the things I really look forward to. And that'll be, I think, I hadn't thought of this before, Amy, but that's going to be one of your marks on our history is um, helping us in this era where maybe people are coming into holy orders who it, it looks more like mm-hmm. a missional community or almost looks monastic or something and not yeah. so much parish oriented. I actually look forward to that. As do yeah. I. That's awesome. So, so Amy, sort of in that vein of, you know, identifying those who are called to holy orders, uh, for a rector listening or a priest, you know, what are the things that, that rectors should be doing now in terms of identifying those who they think might be called to holy orders? And you mentioned that, you know, it's, it's divinely initiated, we want to be a part of what God is doing. What are some practical things or maybe what are some signs that rectors can look for in people that they believe might be called to holy orders? Uh, I love that question. And as I think about that, um, realizing that I probably wouldn't be in ministry if there weren't people that had mm-hmm. spoken to me. Hey, yeah. maybe you should try this. Maybe you could take this step of faith. Maybe you could lead this Bible study or preach at this gathering. And so uh, I would say, you know, to rectors, particularly for those who may be, um, you know, women or for people that wouldn't necessarily have a lot of models of, of people in leadership yeah. who look like them, that it's very important to call that out and encourage them to uh, see what you mm-hmm. might see in them. Um, asking, asking for divine eyes to see who God may be calling uh, in your congregation, whether that's someone in retirement age or whether that's someone in you yeah. know middle school, just asking for those eyes to say, you know, the Lord looks on the heart. Who is it you may be raising up for uh, ministry in your church? And and while we think that's everyone, right, to, it's to some extent, but um, just, just prayerfully asking the Lord who in your congregation uh, might be uh, someone who would be called to holy orders. And then Often it's just inviting them to make one next step. It's maybe over, maybe it's overwhelming to to sure. say too much too soon uh, in that. But uh, are there uh, pieces of power you can give away? Are there opportunities for ministry you can share that will um, allow people to experience that and get affirmation maybe from others and that mm, kind of work? Good. Yeah, and you know the the process of ordination is you know by nature. Uh, it can be like a partnership between local churches and the diocese, right? I mean, and, and we're looking forward to things looking a little different in the future, maybe whether they're, you know, monastic or missional communities. But, you know, when we're thinking about in a local church setting, what what is something that you would want our churches to know in order to be good partners in, you know, the process of ordination for people like within our churches, what we, what's something you would want us to know? How can we best partner? So one thing I would say is it's okay to uh, broach the topic with, with us um, about ordination when you're not quite Mm -hmm. sure yet. Uh, Maybe I can liken it to Mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, maybe an engaged couple will go into premarital counseling. They're already pretty sure they're getting married. (laughs) So it it can be a bit of a formality, right? Uh, and so sometimes uh, uh, people can come into the ordination process already thinking they figured mm. that out on their own, not realizing we actually would love to discern that right. with you. And and so it's okay to to begin that process, even if there's some mm. uncertainty. 
because that that's it's okay to yeah. walk through that process and discern that that's not a calling for for now or or, or maybe forever. Yeah. That that's it's it's not a pass fail uh, situation, but it's a, a mutual discernment of of what God yeah, is calling. Good, yeah. And I hope no one um, ever leaves that process feeling um, discouraged, even if that doesn't lead to actual ordination. Uh, because it's just meant to be yeah. getting clarity on, on mm. what God's call is. That's good. Yeah. And I hear you saying something important, Amy, that um, like a, a new Anglican church, you know, like a church plant or somebody who's adopted in recently or something, if they don't feel like they fully understand the ordination process, even after reading about it online or whatever, that you're here to help them sort these things out, that they can yeah. call you precisely because they don't know everything and um, and that we'll help them. Um, sort these things out and, you know, get a handle on what happens here. I was just saying to, you know, Eric Vincent, our administrator, I think last week, that us getting Brian Wallace elected as bishop in hindsight was a lot easier than I thought because when I first looked at the process, mm. it seemed overwhelming. All the paperwork and all the data, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I was thanking God for Eric and thinking, how in the world are we possibly going to do this? It, felt, it literally felt overwhelming. Yeah. And I'm a veteran of church life. And so I hear you saying, Amy, that when a, a rector or a vestry person or somebody feels uh, somebody in a PDC or thinks they're going to be in a parish discernment team feels overwhelmed, that um, you're here not to just mm-hmm. help people check boxes as they go through the ordination process, but you're here in a sense to coach and guide and help people sort this out, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. So um, how how does somebody uh, get a hold of you if they're in a in that sort of a setting? I, I assume our ordinands know how to get a hold of you, but how would a rector or warden or somebody get a hold of you if they just wanted your advice? Yeah, the uh, ordination at c4so.org uh, goes to me as well as um, my first name, last name, email as well. So that's a great way to get a hold of me. Okay. So either amy.roscoe or ordinations mm-hmm. at, is that what you said? Correct. So, okay. Great. Well, Amy, we're so looking forward to the work ahead of us, ahead of you. And I just know you, you have been, and will continue to be a massive resource to our diocese. Um, and we're just really excited for the work that God has laid out for you. So, you know, Bishop Todd and I were discussing, you know, as we were talking about what questions to ask and we just really wanted to know how are you learning? How are you growing as a disciple through this work? You know, you've mentioned that you're learning a lot, you're processing a lot. And we just wanted to hear kind of how the Lord has been shaping you personally during this time and this transition. And, you know, how are you growing personally and spiritually? One of the greatest honors I have in this process and something I'm is quickly becoming one of my favorite things is uh, reading the spiritual autobiography that each person oh, yeah. writes in this process, which is about eight pages of the spiritual journey that this person mm-hmm. has been on. And I, um, yeah, I get choked up reading them. And I, I just feel like mm-hmm. I, I enter the sacred mm-hmm. space of getting yeah. to read about um, brokenness and redemption and the, the hound of heaven, you know, <laughs> coming after people. And it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, no two stories are the same to see how God just individually um, gently pursues his people 
And it's just so beautiful to get to walk into that and to be honored to, to be entrusted with, with those sacred stories. Uh, it's, it's an encouragement in a world where we hear a lot of broken yeah. stories that uh, maybe the redemption hasn't come yeah. yet to just get to read these um, beautiful stories of God's work in people's lives. And it, it bolsters my faith uh, for, for myself, uh, for people I know who are still in the thick of the mess. Uh, and it, it brings hope. So I just, that that's just such a beautiful sacred part of what I get to do right now yeah. that I feel so honored to get to enter into that, that bit. And so I'm learning and growing in, in terms of just, it gives me uh, eyes to see other people's stories around me as incomplete mm. of knowing, Hey, God's not yeah. done yet mm-hmm. with, with maybe some people that I think, wow, this is, they're in a yeah. tough spot. I don't know mm-hmm. if there's coming back from the edge, but I read these stories and say, Oh, there's hope. God pursues his people. He doesn't yeah. give up. Mm-hmm. And so that that's been yeah. an encouragement to me um, in this season. Mm. Uh, so thinking good. about, you know, what would be encouraging to our audience, um, Tell us a, a favorite story so far, something that feels like you said, reading autobiography, uh, there are spiritual autobiographies sometimes choke up and stuff. Tell us a favorite story so far that something, I know it's totally subjective, that just you've, you really cherish even after these first few months doing your role of something that happened to somebody as they were getting ordained or someone who got ordained or something. What's, a, what's just a story you carry around in your heart and cherish? So this is a hard question. You know, I'm a mom of three, and so I don't like being asked to pick favorites <laughs> on of anything I, I and, and getting yeah. pushed in a corner uh, on that question it's when I try to avoid at all costs. Um, yeah. And and the other thing is I think about this question, Bishop Todd, is, man, I don't know. I won't know for maybe 20, 30 years uh, what's mm, my favorite story. Fair enough. Be- because fair these enough. are, you yeah. know, just new new stories beginning to emerge. Yeah. And um, as I have had a chance to interact with some of the folks that I've worked with in missions, it, it's not the first year or two that is exciting. It's seeing them 10, 20 years into ministry that that story yeah. gets better. So I, I hope um, the be- these are beginnings of some stories that are just going to continue to bear fruit as time goes by. So yeah, fair enough. That's, yeah, that's, fair. Good. that's a fair answer, <laughs> but I'm not going to let you off the hook. Um, what if, what if we tried to general, what if you like tried to generalize it and, and say to our audience that like, I want them to be able to see what you see that encourages mm. you as these human beings are not just coming through a process where they're checking boxes, but you're actually watching human beings go through this really important liminal moment in their life. And like, what do you see that, that encourages you and that you think would encourage the diocese? I think what encourages me is actually the breadth of diversity and experience amongst mm-hmm. those we are ordaining as C4SO, mm-hmm. that um, it doesn't feel cookie cutter at all in terms of, mm-hmm. oh, there's just a bunch of dudes with MDivs getting ordained, but it's different ages, people in different kinds of ministry. And that gives me the most uh, encouragement is that there is just such a broad spectrum of experience, background, and ministry context that people are going into. And I I love that about who we are and would hope that we continue to see that kind of diversity um, multiply 
I think that a challenge is uh, C4SO is, is highly relational. And I think you set the tone for that, Bishop Todd. But if any, anyone who's been in a church plant knows, there are these thresholds of size where things have to change yeah. To, yeah. to scale, right? And, and it feels different. And it feels like maybe we're at another one of those or coming to another one of those I soon with C4SO. So. Yeah. And so I think one of the challenges is how do we keep that relational familial feel, yeah. but also scale things yeah. to grow and keep yeah. seeing this kind of um, diversity, but yet keep that um, relationship instead of, yeah. you know, factioning off into mm-hmm. different groups. Right. So I'm excited about that. It's a challenge, but I'm excited. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're sitting in the chair you're sitting in and will yes. help us invent that future. I, I can only do that because of such great colleagues uh, across C4SO, and I'm just so glad for all the people that uh, we get to work with that, that are making that happen. Agreed. We have some pretty cool people in our diocese. Thank you so much, Amy. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.